Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast, brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host, Cody Kitchen, sits across the table from Pastor John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. Welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast. I am your host, Cody, and join with me is my friend, Dr. John Hall. John, tell them hello. Good afternoon, everyone, and it's great to be with you, Cody. It's going to be a good episode. I hope you are buckled in and strapped up for this one. It was a good sermon on Sunday. So John spoke on Sunday, and as last week, it's the same. We are still in Luke chapter 9, and we've been in a series in Luke for um, a long time. (laughs) A long time. (laughs) And we are going verse by verse, which is so beneficial in my opinion, and it's been good. And this message last Sunday was titled, Who is the Goat? Who is the Goat? And if you haven't figured out or haven't listened to it and you don't know what GOAT stands for, it's the greatest of all time. Correct. So, John, as you prepared this message, what are some things that came to mind? The first thing that came to mind as I was beginning to mull over the passage was the conversation that the disciples were having among themselves. I was thinking, how bold is this to ask one another in the very presence of Christ, who is the greatest among them? I just thought it demonstrates an audacity that's unparalleled. Uh, Asking that question in the presence of Christ within the earshot of Jesus I just, how do you have that conversation as a disciple? That would be hard, almost as as if they had some arrogance that they were struggling with or something. Clearly, as do all of us. Absolutely. It's interesting to me that the disciples were having an argument that we still have today. Yes. And that's something that you talked about in your message. And I just find that so interesting that in our culture today, we are so inundated with who or what is the best. I mean, we argue not only who, but we talk about the best restaurants or what's our opinion, what are the best. I mean, we're inundated with having something, always having to be number one. And if we're not careful, we can live our lives striving for greatness in the wrong ways. And I say this because in your message, you started in your first point, that there is something inerrant in each of us that yearns for significance. And you made the point that striving for greatness is not bad in itself, but the reasons we're wanting to be great can lead us astray. And I appreciated that in your, in your message you uh, talked about how you want to be a great pe- preacher. And it makes sense because why, why wouldn't you want to be a great pe- preacher? Well, yeah, I don't want to just be a great preacher. I want to be the greatest preacher ever. Am I? No, of course I'm not. But I still... Aim for that. Absolutely. Yes. We all should aim for being the greatest in what we do. There's no point in doing it. I always say it's probably a joke that I shouldn't say too often, but, you know, just playing sports for fun is great, but if there's not a point in a winner, what's the point of playing? (laughs) Right. Or any board game or anything. Right. You have to have a winner, and by virtue of someone being a winner, there's going to be the opposite, someone who is a loser. Absolutely. 
And which that kind of leads me to my first question that I want to ask you is why does it seem to be easier for us to put in put in the effort to be great in a worldly sense than in a godly sense? I love this question. And I think what I've come up with, whether it's right or wrong, accurate or inaccurate, I think that all of us are naturally driven and gravitate to desiring the praise of man. And I think it's only by the grace of God and spiritual growth and maturity that we ever even get close to transitioning from oh, I crave the praise of man, the adulation of man, to concerning ourselves more so with what pleases the Lord. What does he look upon as identifying as good and faithful? I, I just think we're all so enamored with the praises of man. And I don't, frankly, I think social media has done a lot to feed this. You get, you post something on Facebook and you're immediate, you get immediate response and you get immediate gratification, you get immediate a compliment, and it almost becomes an addiction, whether you realize it or not or intend that's for good. it or not. But I think that's what gets celebrated in in the world and recognized. And so the culture lauds what it considers to be great. And what Christ considers to be great is in direct juxtaposition to what the world identifies as being great. And so I think that's why we expend an enormous amount of energy pursuing greatness as it is defined by one another as opposed to how it's defined by Christ in the Scripture and by his own life. That's good. And I think something, and I could be talking out of suit here, but Something that churches struggle with today is that we find that more in the church than we should in the sense of, you know, we want to be great within the church, how we serve, which in and in itself, serving the church isn't bad. But the reasons why we're serving the church or getting the praise of serving the church is what makes it bad. And so... Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think we have to constantly monitor our motivations, constantly keep our motives in check. Absolutely. I know that I have I, I struggle and labor to do that myself, making sure my motives are right before God. And sometimes I hit the mark and sometimes I don't. But yes, we have to evaluate what's driving us to want to be great. Right. That's good. And I think that's a perfect kind of segue into our second point and your second point in the sermon that was that the text revealed was an unexpected reversal of greatness. And I've read this verse, I think, so many times in my life, and I just enjoyed the way that you pointed out that Christ answered the disciples' question by using a child. Mm -hmm. And you made the point that Jesus was emphasizing that this child was being dependent. He was trusting, living by faith, humble and without status. And I think there could be instances where we tell people, maybe specifically unbelievers, to have childlike faith. And with this, they would pose the question, well, if it's childlike, then how can it be mature faith? So with that said, can you explain how to have a mature faith while still holding on to the childlike nature of faith? 
Sure, I'll give it a shot at least. In reading that text of Scripture, I thought it was very clever of the Lord to pull to his side a child. Children back then did not have near the status that our children do in the 21st century. They were considered insignificant and weak and utterly dependent upon those who, you know, were responsible for their care and well-being, but largely they were neglected. And so they had to put their total trust in mom and dad or other uh, caretakers. And I I think Jesus' starting point there with, was to point out that you come to him with a childlike, trusting, depending faith, but you, you never pursue childishness in your walk with him, but you certainly grow from being a child in the Lord to growing up and, and pressing on toward maturity as we're taught elsewhere in, in the Bible. Mm. But I, I think, secondly, in addition to what I just said, uh, a mature faith is identified by one who serves. There's a desire to be of availability to the Lord. I've heard people say it's not your ability the Lord is so concerned about as much as your availability and I would argue, why not give him both? Uh, we also pursue our relationship with Christ by obeying his commands that are clearly laid out for us in Scripture and then obeying the clear leadership of the Holy Spirit, which would always be in line with the Bible. There's a desire to be humble before him and before one another. There's this continual desire to recognize how truly dependent we are upon God for even the very air that we breathe. And then I think, of course, as I, I, I know I answered this last week as well, but it bears repeating that there's always going to be a need for the Christian who truly desires to grow in Christ to give attention to the disciplines of spiritual growth that produce godliness and maturity and and so i don't think you can take extended periods of time off from reading your bible spending time in prayer serving others attending church being obedient i, I it's it's all important right because it contributes ultimately from our moving away from a childlike expression which brings us to faith in christ or he gives us the faith that brings us to him but we grow in that faith. And I know that's a long answer, but no, that's good. Um, hopefully that answered the question, at least in part. It did. And as you were, as you were answering it, I immediately thought of, and I'm not going to, I don't want to stay here because I don't want to completely take it out of context. But I think of 1 Peter chapter 2, specifically verse 2, where he's talking about like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And when you were answering that, that's immediately what I thought of is that, you know, as having that childlike faith and when we come into faith in Christ, that there is a point that we do start at an infant stage and grow into just like a life stage of a human. Yeah. We grow and um, it's important that we don't, as you stated, we don't stay at that. Right. That level, but still having that faith like a child. Right, right. And, um, and you can't find any teaching in the scripture that we aren't 
to move toward maturity. In fact, there's plenty of teaching, especially in the New Testament, that we're always to be progressing in the faith, uh, moving towards uh, maturity and Christ-likeness, yeah, growing in the Lord. We can't remain in the high chair with a bib on, having ourselves spoon-fed. At some point, we got to get out of the high chair, take the bib off, and start feeding ourselves, Come on. which the Lord uses to produce maturity in us. And I, I don't know. I mean, we're really fortunate here at Field Street because we have a, you know quite a number of believers who've been walking with the Lord a long time, and yeah. we're the beneficiaries of obser- observing the faithfulness of their lives. That's and good. I'm very appreciative, and I have a very keen awareness now more than I ever have of how we stand on the shoulders of these godly men and women who've come before us and have exemplified what it means to follow after the Lord faithfully. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm appreciative, very appreciative of those folks. That's a good point, and I think it just shows, even if you are a member of the church or have come to Field Street, you, you can, you'll see it, but the service that comes with that faith, of you know specifically of ones you're talking about, comes from that serving of greatness to the kingdom. And it is, you're right, it is a great example um, and I think there's a lot of members here at Field Street that are great examples of yes, that. So it's a good absolutely. point. And so you transitioned into your last point that there is the reality of the choice one makes. And I think to transition, you asked the question, do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? And when I was sitting there for at least me personally, and I'm sure for a lot of you who either listened to it or were there, I immediately thought of who wouldn't. If you're a Christian, who wouldn't want to be great in the kingdom? Right. I mean, you you know, we know the meaning of what it means to in the kingdom of God and, and the greatness of Christ. And so why would we not want to be great? Why would we not want to give Christ our best effort? Why would we not want to do these things? And so that was one of the immediate responses that I thought in my head. And you answer by saying, serve, put others before yourself, be humble, childlike, and you said a few other things, and my question is for the listeners, what are practical ways as Christians that we can serve so that we display greatness that can only come from Jesus? I like that question because it really is an effort to take the biblical text that was considered on Sunday and make it applicable in our lives as believers. So I have a few that I'm going to offer, but it's I don't have a monopoly Right. On answering this question, certainly our listeners could think of other ways, but let me just give you a few. Number one, I think showing kindness to the forgotten. Mm. Uh, I'm incredibly appreciative the longer I live of individuals in my life that took the time to notice me. I'm very appreciative of that. And I'm, yeah. I'm reminded by our Lord that his example was, you know, he, he elevated the status of both the forgotten and those who were treated poorly. I mean, children, um, women in that day, they were not treated particularly well and more considered as property, and and he just elevated their status mm. dramatically. And what a grace that was as exhibited in his life. I think also, too, uh, to realize that your acts as followers of Christ in the 21st century will largely go unnoticed 
by the world, and you have to find a way to be okay with that. Hmm. I don't think the world any longer is going to stand up and applaud the genuine, authentic, kingdom-oriented service of a Christian. We've we've moved beyond that in Western culture. So if you're looking for the world to applaud you for your faithfulness to Jesus, you might want to get over that. (laughs) The other thing I'd say, too, is that we all just have to find a way, and it is not easy. We all have to find a way that we're going to be comfortable with living a life of anonymity because of our commitment to Jesus Christ. And I'll give you an example in real time, real life. Uh, Prior to our coming to Cleburne, Texas, and coming to Field Street to serve as pastor here, uh, I was serving at a church in metropolitan Denver. And we were in a community at the time of around 48,000 people, and we were one of two Southern Baptist churches. And we were the largest church, and on any given Sunday, we might have 140 people in worship, and we were the largest Southern Baptist church in that community. There were there other larger Baptist churches, but not in that community that we were living in. And it, it occurred to me, and it like hit me like a lightning bolt, and I think God was dealing with me on that, that I finally had to come to a place where I was fine with the fact that the ministry I had there in that community may never be noticed. And I had to be okay with it. And I would be lying if I said that came very easily for me. It did not. But over over a period of time and God at work in my heart and, and just trying to do my best with his help to be faithful to the example of Christ, think he was very patient in working with me that I finally got to a place there in that setting where I was fine with nobody knew what where I was or what I was doing right and um, except for him and then I came to the realization which I wish I'd have come to a lot sooner in my ministry that his eyes are really the only ones that matter in terms of who's evaluating and observing our lives hmm. and I want I'm sure you're the same way, and probably every listener, we all want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Absolutely. So we have to adjust our hearts and adjust our mindset to move away from, I want my peers to recognize me, to I want the Lord to be pleased with my life, and I long to hear those words someday in eternity. Well done, thou good Amen. and faithful servant. So that's a really long answer to your good question. Uh, I apologize for that, but perhaps it'll prove helpful in some ways. No, that was really good, and I think we could talk about that all day. Um, and thank you for being honest and truthful in that. And, um, you know, as we close, it's so good, so good conversation. I really wish we could take forever on this because I just, I think, Sunday's message was really good, and it's something I think we all struggle with in some way. Um, And I think you explained it so well, so thank you for that. And so as we close, John, what are some final thoughts? Give us some last words. Some final thoughts. Well, as we evaluate, you know, who is the greatest? And we have a cultural obsession these days with who's the greatest, the greatest of all time, and who should be in that conversation. And One of the intents of the message this past Sunday was ultimately to direct 
the listener to Jesus Christ. Because when you're talking about the greatest of all time, and I made a point to say in the message that Jesus was greater than Melchizedek and greater than Moses mm-hmm. and greater than any earthly priest, and he's the, he's the son over God's house, and it really established all that. It all came out of the book of Hebrews, which yeah. labors to accentuate the greatness of Christ. Uh, as our high priest and, and other aspects and roles that he fulfills as our savior and intercessor. I mean, I could go on. Uh, that's, that's the takeaway for me. And it was so sweet. I, uh, Don, our assistant, uh, showed me a little note that a little girl who was in the, in the service Sunday said that she had written on her notes, who is the goat? And she put God or, oh. or Jesus. And I was, I was like, okay, mission accomplished. The kid got it. Absolutely. It's a real challenge in preaching because you've got to preach in such a simple way that the kids get it, but you have to preach in a in a more sophisticated way that your 84-year-old who's been walking with the Lord and reading the Bible longer than you've been alive gets something fresh from right. God's Word. That only happens by the grace and goodness of, of, of the Holy Spirit and God and some... That'd be my takeaway is just good. You know, point everybody again to who, who really is the greatest, and it's, it's without question. He has no second. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Well, we're going to transition now as we close to our That Stupid stupid segment. And so John's going to— Yeah, thank you, Cody. This is—I've uh, been giving this some thought, and I've had it on my mind a few weeks. And I think one of the great privileges that we all take for granted— here in the West, the United States in particular, is our access to a Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, just about every household, and, and including mine, you know, we have not just one copy of the Bible, but multiple copies of the Bible. I have in my office almost every conceivable translation of an English Bible that you could get your hands on. And uh, I started thinking about, why do we have all these Bibles, but we're not reading them yeah. in, in a disciplined, regular, systematic way? And so my question for you, Cody, what do you think of that? I think that's stupid. That is stupid. People, we have got to open the Word of God and meditate on its truths and most especially apply those truths in our lives which produce in us Christ-likeness and godliness. So having a Bible and not reading it, that's stupid. That's stupid. That's for sure. Well, guys, we are so honored and, and thank you so much for joining us this week and for tuning in and for the ones that have been tuning in now for two weeks our faithful listeners we appreciate it <laughs> yes um, as always we ask that you uh, would love and appreciate your positive feedback and email us and, and some of that or just come find us and tell us what you think and as we end each session we want you to remember make christ known by what you say and how you live y'all have a great week Thank you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us at infofieldstreet.com. At Thanks for tuning in.